Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you. First and foremost, thanking you for our Jesus. Thanking you for the reality of what we have shared in song with you today. The reality of victory that comes because we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And he not only lives in our lives, but enables us to live a victorious life. And so, Father, it's that kind of heart, that kind of commitment, that kind of understanding that we, in your presence, come to simply say, empty us of self. Fill us to overflowing with your presence and your word. And Father, may we be found faithful as your children as we hear your word and as we apply your word and go live your word in the world today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It is an honor to be with you this morning. I have looked forward to this since Brother Timothy asked me this last week to share with you today. I have to say that uh, I have come to love and deeply, deeply appreciate your pastor. Uh, I, I love that guy. He is just a wonderful, wonderful uh, expositor of God's word, and I believe he's a good pastor. And so I just ask that you continue to pray for him and his family as they are journey, journeying through the reality of loss and the grief that they're going through, but also as they will be returning a little bit later this week. This morning, I want us to focus on a specific thing that the Apostle John says to the first century church that is just as applicable today as it was then. But we need a little bit of historical reference before I read this passage of Scripture. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. John is an aged, aged pastor at this time. This is toward the end of that first century, somewhere in the 90 to 95 AD timeframe. He writes the Gospel of John, and he writes this letter, 1 John, and he, I believe, put them together and sent them to be read as circular letters. And the bottom line is they went out to the churches where he had the most influence at this time. John, for the last 25 or 30 years, has been living in the city of Ephesus. He is building upon what the Apostle Paul began. And the churches that were started during Paul's time are growing. And John adds to that and continues to build and to preach and to share with them. But what we don't often see, when we read Scripture, we don't see the adversary at work. You see, for that period of time, especially the last 10 or 15 years of John's life, the church was inundated with a heresy. There was a teaching that began during John's ministry with a contemporary of John out of Ephesus. His name was Serenthus. This man had this idea that would become fully blown in the second century and fully developed in the second century. 
And we've probably, you've probably heard of it, Gnosticism. But that it didn't begin with that full-blown understanding. It began very subtly. What Sorinthus said was faith. Stop and think about it. Have any of you ever seen Jesus? This Jesus that these Christians are talking about? Matter of fact, let's back it up a little bit. Have any of you ever seen God? Now, we know that there are gods all around us. So here's what we need to focus on. Jesus, this Jesus that they're preaching and teaching, he was a phantom. He was an illusion. And the way to please God has nothing to do with faith. It has everything to do with knowledge. And what Serenthus did early on was he took Eastern mysticism, Greek philosophy, and just enough of Christianity, leaving out Jesus, to then begin to preach and teach Here's the way for you to really know God and be pleasing to God. Learn everything you possibly can in this world. Learn everything you possibly can. Good, bad, or indifferent. Matter of fact, if it's bad, that's okay because you understand what God understands. You can be more like God with the worst of life then you'll ever be with this just following Jesus. Now, you and I hear something like that and we're going, who would believe that? But let's understand the power of Satan. These first century Christians for the last 30, 35 years since Paul started, they have been persecuted. They turned their backs on the gods of their ancestors. And because of that, they were given probably funerals. They, didn't, they no longer existed to their families. They lost everything. Those in business probably lost all that they had. Because no one wanted to worship or buy from anyone that had anything to do with this God that stole them away from the God of their ancestors. And it's that understanding the people who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, John has a specific message for them that enabled them to keep on keeping on and being faithful. And that's what he wants us to do as well. So I want us to read together 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Now, I want to kind of give you a spoiler alert. The title of this message is Love for the world. But John's understanding is don't do it. Okay, spoiler alert. This is not John 3.16 world. This is Satan's world and how he has corrupted it and the influence that we've been talking about. He comes and he says to these churches, the readers in Asia, Asia Minor, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. 
I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world. Do not love the world. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. John comes and he says to these persecuted but very faithful Christians, I have an appeal. I want you to hear something very, very powerfully given to you today. An appeal that I want you to focus on and never forget. But before I do that, I want to take just a moment and I want to help you understand I know where you are. I know what you're going through and I know that you are victorious Christians. And so John begins this, the basis of the appeal. He wants us to see who he's talking to and understand we can relate as readers of God's word in the same vein because listen to what he says. He starts out by saying, I am writing to you little children. Now he says that in verse 12 and he says that in verse 13. Now what's interesting here is many scholars have taken this and looked at this and said, huh, John says, present tense, I am writing to three different groups. Then the same three groups he says, I have written past tense. And there's been a lot of speculation back and forth as to why John did that, but the bottom line is we don't know. But what is important and what we do know is the message that he gives to these Christians. He says, I am writing to you little children. When you go back to chapter 2 verse 1, what we see here is for the first time this aged pastor is addressing his loved of his life, the church of Jesus Christ. The people that he has poured out his life into all these years, he's writing to them and he says, little children. It's an affectionate term, but he's talking about the church, the congregation. He's talking about all of the Christians who are scattered throughout Asia at that time. He says, here's what I want you to hear from my heart about who I see you as. Your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake, for Christ's namesake. Then he says, I've written to you children because you know the Father. The most important decision in all of life is to know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the most important decision in all of life. And he's saying, I know that you know. I know that you follow the commandments. I know that you know his word. I know that you're walking after Jesus. I want you to understand this is my heart. I know you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you know God. Then he says to a second group, fathers, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. Now here's the interesting thing. When he says, I am right, or I have written to you, when he gets to the past tense, he says the exact same thing. Before we talk about that, because they kind of go together, 
let's look at this young men section that he's talking about here. He says, I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Then he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Here's what John is doing. He starts with the church. He says, I want you to know, I know you know Jesus. Jesus knows you. That's the good news. Jesus knows you and he's working in your lives. Let me give you an example of that. You fathers, and the word that he uses there in the Greek speaks of those who are mature. He's not just talking about the newborn or young Christians that the young men represent, those who are new in their faith. He's talking about those who for the last 25, 30, 35 years have known Jesus, have walked with Jesus, and have been faithful to Jesus. And he says to them twice, I know because you know him who has been from the beginning. In other words, from the moment they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they began to faithfully walk after Jesus. And experience after experience after experience has deepened their faith, not weakened, deepened their faith in Jesus so much so that they are victorious Christians. That's how John sees them. And these young men, these who are newer in their faith relationship, he comes in, he says, I want you to understand two things. One, of a, one thing, you've overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. Now, when you go back earlier in 1 John and you look at what he says, he reminds us of the message that has been preached in these churches for all these years. God is light. That is, God is known. God wants to be known. God makes himself known. And the way that he does that is through the Holy Spirit's work in convincing you that Jesus is the truth and you have received Jesus in your life. The blood of Jesus covers your life. And as a result of that, even if you sin against God, guess what? All you have to do is confess your sin. And what does scripture say there in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin, but he doesn't stop there. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, not only does God forgive us of our sin, but God cleans us up so that we can once again be fit vessels to contain and proclaim and follow our Jesus. And he says, young men, you have started out right. That's what you're doing. But he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. They recognize the adversary is very powerful himself. But they are strong. Why? Because of the word of God. They not only know the word of God, but they're applying it to their lives because he says to them, you have overcome the evil one. Here's what's happening. That word overcome it's a very interesting verb. It speaks, first of all, it's in the perfect tense, denoting that they have conquered the evil one and remained victorious over him. In other words, because they know Jesus, because they know the word of God that's been presented to them, and they're applying it to their lives in a daily fashion, they more quickly understand this is a temptation. This is a lie from Satan, and they don't do it. 
You realize that's what he's talking about? He's talking about remaining victorious over Satan. Now, yes, they were not perfect Christians. That's why John wrote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we recognize in that moment, oh my goodness, I just let Satan dictate that moment in my life. How could I be so wrong? Father, forgive me. And it's interesting, John calls Jesus in, in, in this letter, our advocate. And we've always thought of Jesus as the advocate, as a lawyer. Uh-uh. There's no lawyer up in heaven. That word advocate speaks of a reality about our Jesus. You see, when you and I come to him and we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin, Jesus takes that before the Father and he openly admits to the Father, yes, they are sinners. No, they do not deserve our forgiveness. No, they do not deserve the heaven that we've promised them, but my blood covers that person. And the Father automatically will always say, he or she is forgiven. And like I say, then God does the next thing, what only God will do. He cleans us up and makes us fit vessels for service to him again. Wow. That's what he wants us to understand. That's the concept of overcoming, that we don't have to succumb to Satan's lies, but even when we do, God is going to always be God, forgive and cleanse. John says, that's you. That's you. Now then, he makes his appeal. He comes and he simply says to them, here's Satan's most powerful trap. He comes and he says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Now, when you look through the Gospels, and, or through the Gospel of John, and you look through the letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John uses that phrase, the world, more than all of the other New Testament writers put together. 79 times he uses that phrase, the world, in the Gospel of John. 23 times in this epistle he uses the world. Now we need to understand, John sees the world in three different lights. One is that reality of the world of nature, the created order. In John 1.10 and 1 John 4.17, he shows us that God is creator of the world, and that's a good thing. Then we see in John 3.16, that the world is that whole human race thought of as a fallen world, fallen into sin and in need of redemption. But there, that's a good thing. God loves that world. But here's where John is in this text. Here's what he wants us to understand. It is using the world as the unbelieving, pagan society of a rebel order embodying the influences and forces that are hostile to God. In other words, what Paul talks about, they worship the prince of the power of the air, the God of the little g, God of this world. He's what they want to please. 
not the one true living God. And here's what Satan does. Here's what makes that so powerful. And we need to hear this as Christians. What does Jesus command us to do? What is the great commission all about? Go into what? All the world. Huh. What world is he talking about? This world right there that John's talking about. A world that hates God. A world that is hostile to God. These people were persecuted. They understood that. We don't quite see it. But the bottom line is, it is a world that wants to erase God from your life. And Jesus said, go, make disciples. That is, share the gospel with them. And as the Holy Spirit works in their life and they see the truth, they will come to know Jesus. And you will disciple them so that they will become disciples who disciple others. Keep that in mind. Because Satan also knows that. You and I are supposed to be in the world, the very world he's talking about here, that he says, do not love. But the difference between what Jesus' command is and what John is saying here is huge. You see, Jesus told us, this is your Christian duty. I am commanding you to go into that world and be light so that that dispels the darkness and enables more people to come to the truth. But in that process, and here's what John says, and here's where they intersect, do not fall in love with the world again. Don't let the world have that kind of influence on you where you get to the point where you love the world more than you love God. And that's exactly what John wants us to begin to see because what we see next is the expansion of what he's talking about here because he also says, nor the things in the world. So there beginning in the second part of verse 15, there's two things that John wants us to very clearly understand. Number one, if you love, and it is that word agape, if you have that selfless, sacrificial love for the world, Here's what John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. They're not Christians. This is not about Christ. This is about a world in control of a human life in darkness, and there is no hope whatsoever. That kind of life, the love of that kind of world excludes the love of God. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was approached? about serving God and serving mammon, as the King James puts it. What does he say? You can't have, what, two masters because you're going to love the one and hate the other. Or you're going to love the other and hate the one. John understood that. And he wants us to understand the love of God and the love of the world are incompatible. So much so that John in verse 16 says this, for all that is in the world, and then he gives a cascading understanding of how Satan drifts us into sin. He says, the lust of the eyes, excuse me, the lust of the flesh, and, there's no comma there, 
the lust of the eyes, no comma, and the boastful pride of life. He starts with that understanding, lust of the flesh, the human nature corrupted by sin. That's where it starts. Satan takes that which God gave as beautiful and perfect, and Satan turns it into sin. Then he says, and here's the next, as it cascades down, the lust of the eyes, that unlawful craving for that which entices our eyes. The phrase has the inclusion of every kind of unlawful desire which makes its appeal to the eye. So we have the lust of the flesh, and as it flows, the lust of the eyes, and then he says, the boastful pride of life. It is that arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency and vain sense of security that the world says it gives us, but doesn't. That word life that he uses here is only found here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. It's a word that literally speaks in terms of livelihood, the means of supporting life, or it could be translated possessions. Don't get so boastful about all of the possessions you have. Because the next thing he says, please understand, this kind of arrogance, this kind of lust is not from the Father. They do not originate in God, show no likeness to his character, and are contrary to the life which he wills for his people. So the first thing that he tells us here about the love of the world he says the love of the world, the love for the world excludes God. But then now then, hear what he says there in verse 17. There's a second thing. The world is passing away. Listen to what John says there in verse 17. He says, the world is passing away and also its lusts. Now what's powerful here is John has just said and, and just immediately before this, in chapter 2, verse 8, he has just said to these Christians, the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. What John is repeating here is so powerful. Do you realize that when Jesus burst forth from the tomb... Light took over. The light of Jesus began to shine in a way and shine into and through people's life that it took over darkness. It was reminiscent of the reality of there in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was, was God, and what did God do? The first thing he did was he created light. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And what did light do in Genesis chapter 1? It dispelled the darkness. When Jesus came out of that tomb, light took over. Do you see how that helps us with evangelism? Do you see how that can help us with living as disciples of Jesus Christ? We already have the victory. It's in Jesus who is shining in and through our lives, and we need to be sharing that everywhere with everyone 
that we come in contact with. Because He is the light, and the darkness is passing away. Now, what we need to see here and understand with that is the reality that, that this life, this world that is trapped by Satan's darkness, and the only hope it has is you and me being faithful to God's Word and to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by sharing His Word with others, that's the only way that light breaks through. But it is. It is breaking through. And so he comes back now and he reminds us where he began with these Christians who are living in that world. They're being persecuted. Many have already died. And he comes and he says, here's where I'm going with all of this. Don't love the world. But guess what? The one who does the will of God abides forever. He reminds us, once we receive Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, guess what? This is no longer our home. This is not what God had in mind for us. He intended for us to live in his presence forever. That's already ours. Don't let Satan and his lies keep you from being the kind of victorious Christian that God knows you to be. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if there's never been that moment when you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, in a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And as we sing, we invite you to respond publicly to God this morning. For those of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, please hear me. This is always a perfect time for us to do what John said we need to do. How many of you, and please don't anybody raise your hand. Okay, This is not the time for confession. How many of you, before coming to church this morning, actually took time on your knees asking God to forgive you of your sins, which means you begged him, you pleaded with him on your knees, forgive me for these sins. Chances are most of us have it. Here's your chance. While we sing, while others sing around you, you can use this time to bring the Lordship of Christ up to date in your life. Use it as an opportunity to say, Father, I've not been serving you and I now recognize why my sins, you need to forgive them but I need to confess them before you can. Use this as a personal quiet time between you and the Father. And as those of you who are looking for a church home, folks, this is a great one. God is at work. God is moving. It's time for you to become a part of this family. Don't wait for the pastor. I'll be here, Brother Chris will be here. If God is leading you to become a part of this church family, that's what this time is for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you recognizing who you are in our lives, and we thank you for that. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that in these next few moments, that we truly would empty ourselves of self and become absolutely, totally recommitted to you. So, Father, this is your moment. This is your time. May we be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
and sing and respond as God leads you.